Spirit among us and within all who believe. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. It helps a lot when we're preaching pieces as we go through a book. Uh, we need to try and keep the big picture in mind because the big picture uh, informs the little stuff quite a bit along the way. So just to keep in mind, a couple Sundays ago we were in um, the Feast of Tabernacles. All the Jews, thousands and thousands of extra Jews are in Jerusalem for that whole week of festival time and worship. It's their happiest worship event of the year. So for us it would be really similar to Easter week or, or Christmas week as well. But happy, super happy time. And at the end, the priest brings that golden pitcher of water from the Pool of Siloam, pours the water on the altar, and they shout that verse from Isaiah, um, drink from the living waters. Uh, joy comes to one who drinks the living waters of salvation. And then Jesus shouts into that huge crowd, all who are thirsty for the waters of salvation, come to me and drink. So he, Jesus put, if anybody wasn't aware of him yet or his claims, he put all of Jerusalem, all of Israel on notice that day. I am claiming to be the one who gives salvation. I'm the one. Well, then right after that, John shares the story of the woman caught in adultery. We saw last Sunday how it wasn't she that was caught in adultery so much as it was the Sadducees and Pharisees who were caught revealing their own sin. Pretty amazing and powerful story. So that's kind of dropped in there in the middle of the situation. Now today, Jesus is going to be in a very direct conversation uh, in the temple area about his true identity. So he's, he's never been hiding it or, or keeping it uh, covered up. But he's coming out more and more boldly, more clearly, more directly about his identity so that people have a very clear choice as he goes to the cross and rises from the dead. So he's talking about identity today and why his identity matters more than anything else in the world. So go with me, John chapter 8, pick it up today at verse 12. I changed the banners up front because of this very first verse. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Now, as a part of this very same worship festival towards the end, they uh, in this temple area where Jesus was teaching from, they would have in the four corners of it uh, four menorahs, the, the seven, seven flame candles. They'd have four of them, one in each corner. So I don't know if Jesus gestured, but he could have easily gestured and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. How sweet and clean and powerful does that sound in our world right now? How often, I need to be careful, I, I, I remind myself a lot to be careful, uh, watching to the news, listening to news, on social media, having conversations with people everywhere we go. The darkness is really apparent. We talk about it a lot. We see it. We hear it a lot. And so on a daily basis, we need to be lifting our eyes up to the Lord and having that peace, that joy, and that uh, connection with God that brings this about, the light of the world. If you're seeing and hearing the darkness a lot, and we are, you can get overwhelmed and smothered by that. You can get depressed by that if that's our, your only focus. You've got to lift your eyes and have that connection with the Lord and know that he is on the throne and working in, in you and others in this life. You've got to have that. 
He is the light of the world. Whoever follows me, Jesus, will not walk in darkness. We have the light. And this is why it's so critical for us to share the light, speak of the light, and by our behavior, show the light. Because there are some folks in the darkness who are desperate to get out of it and don't know where to go, don't know where to turn, don't yet know Christ. Verse 13, so Jesus making pretty bold claims, right? I am, that's that Yahweh name, Yahweh, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, will have the light of life. If you feel a bit like you've been walking in darkness a lot lately, then you need to get deeper into the word every day. Spend more time with the Lord. Let that light shine and grow in you. Verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. So their, their laws, their rules for court stuff didn't allow this. If you were on trial, there had to be two other witnesses who could say uh, not guilty or would say guilty. There had to be two clear witnesses. So the Pharisees said, if you're bearing witness about yourself, your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. Where did Jesus come from? He came from heaven. He came from the right hand of God. But you do not know where I come from, heaven, or where I'm going, back to heaven. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one according to the flesh. And even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it's not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So <clears throat> I just want to mention here for a second, what kinds of ways was Jesus witnessing about himself? Well, the Father was doing it through, too, through all the miracles. Uh, Jesus has authority over wind and wave, over every disease, over death. He multiplies some bread and fishes and feeds thousands of people. All those things are witnessing and testifying to who Jesus is. Crystal clear testimony. Verse 19, the people said to him, where is your father? So, so Jesus says, well, I have two testimonies. I testify by myself and my father testifies. So I'm going, okay. Bring dad over here. Let's hear his testimony. Where is your father anyway? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. There are agents, there are people in the crowd who've been tasked with arresting him. And that presence is there all the time. So John mentions over and over yeah, it wasn't the right time. God's not going to let that happen. The hour hadn't come. It wasn't the right time yet. So I just want to submit that to you, the sovereignty of God over your life. I need to be careful and not, not go leaping off of cliffs to prove it. Amen? But you're not going anywhere until God says that your life witness and testimony has been completed. You, you are safe in the sovereignty of God. So when I got COVID, um, God really impressed that on me. I didn't have any fears. I was like, well, if I've done my job, he'll take me home. If the job's not completed yet, I'm walking out of here. I walked out of there. You've all had experiences in your life. You're like, I could have died right there. Okay? You're sovereign. You're safe. 
Be bold, be courageous. To stand up for Jesus in whatever situations are. And to not fear the time or the manner of your death. Okay. God's got that. It's already written down in his book. How many days you're going to live. Nobody's changing that. Amen? Amen. Okay. His hour had not yet come. Verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me. Could you say this next part with me? And, and you, you will, will die, die in your sin. sin. I thought Jesus was love. Sure enough, he is. How can it be a loving thing to tell someone that you're going to die in your sin? It's, it's a warning. Just like you warn your child, don't touch that hot stove. You're going to get burned. It's a loving warning. This is a loving warning from Jesus to Sadducees, Pharisees, religious leaders and men who thought they were God's right-hand man. Jesus said, at this moment in your lives, you guys are going to hell. You're going to die in your sin. And we know sin separates from God forever. Jesus says, I'm going away. You will seek me. You will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Where is Jesus going? He's going back to the right hand of God. Why can't they come? Because their sin hasn't been dealt with by believing in the Savior. It hasn't been paid for or cleaned up. Verse 22. So the Jews said, and these are unbelieving Jews, obviously. Will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. You know, the rabbis taught that if you committed suicide, you went straight to Gehenna for the bad place. Not what he's saying. Verse 23, Jesus said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You were of this world, I am not of this world. In some ways, being as clear as he can be. Amen? But this is part of what's tearing up our world now, is if, if you don't have a heart for God, if you don't have a desire for him, and if you reject Jesus... You can't understand spiritual truth. You can't understand the truth of God. And so we're butting heads with people on issues and stuff. Um, people that are sold out haters of God, we're never going to have a conversation when we come to a middle place with that. It's like this crowd. They simply don't get it at all. So they're in opposition. Verse 24. This is a really huge verse. You've got your own Bibles underlined in star and stuff. Jesus says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Now, I know in the ESV it says, I am he. The he was added, supplied. It's not in the original text. It kind of helps it flow in English. But I would rather just say, I am, because that's what Jesus said. It's that Yahweh claim again. He's making it clear to them. I am Yahweh. I am the God of the burning bush who spoke to Moses. I am that God. So Jesus says, think of it in those terms again. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, that I'm God, that I'm the Son of God, that I'm Yahweh, unless you believe that, you will die in your sins. Now, this is where we get in trouble with the world, right? The world says, how dare you say there's only one way? It's not me saying it. It's God himself. He's given one provision for the payment for sin, his only son, Jesus. Buddha can't accomplish that. Muhammad can't accomplish that. Nobody else can accomplish that. 
So we're being loving and kind by sharing the truth, just like Jesus when he says, you're dying in your sin because you're refusing to believe that I'm God. You're rejecting my father because you're rejecting me, and he sent me. This is not unkindness. This isn't being a jerk. This is love. Verse 25. So they said to him, Who are you anyway? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, from the beginning of his ministry, all the miracles, all the things he shared. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. See, here's the rub. If you don't understand that Jesus is the Son of God and he's talking about the Heavenly Father, if you don't get that, are we ever going to make connection in this conversation here? It's never going to happen. So what are we praying for people who don't yet know Jesus and we can't have conversations with them on this level? pray biblical things. I pray, Lord, your word says that nobody can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. So I pray, Father, draw so-and-so to Jesus. So we can actually have a conversation about Jesus and the cross and make him the Savior. Elsewhere in the Bible, it says the devil has a veil of deception and lies upon their minds. I pray, Father, lift the veil from their minds. I pray, Father, give them a hunger and a thirst and a passion for truth. The Bible says if you don't love the truth, you're going to hell because you'll never get to Jesus. we got way too many people in our culture, in our country, and a lot of them are science-based, and they don't love truth. They don't care about truth. They care about agendas. So I pray for people. God, give them a hunger and a thirst for truth. Whatever the Holy Spirit prompts you, but those are two or three things I pray for the lost, because that's what they need to have happen. Need a hunger for truth, they need the veil lifted, and they need the Holy Spirit to draw them to Jesus. <clears throat> you can see why it's kind of a challenge to get people saved in America today, amen. Mm-hmm. The major Holy Spirit work. They did not understand that he'd been speaking about the Father. So verse 28. This is a really, really big verse. We're gonna dig into this for a little while here. So Jesus said to them. When you, these scribes and Pharisees and all the unbelievers who are rejecting him and not wanting to believe in him, he says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. Again, cross out the E. It's not in the text. Then you will know that I am, that, that Yahweh, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, what are they talking about? Fascinating. The, the phrase here, the two word phrase, lifted up, normally it's, it, it means, in this original language in the Greek and stuff, normally it's referring to like uh, when you win uh, the Super Bowl and, and your quarterback, maybe some player, makes a tremendous, huge game winning play, the last play of the game. And so everybody goes nuts and celebrates and cheers, and all the players rush to the guy who made the great play, right? And what do they maybe do, especially in the older days? Now we're concerned about injuries. But in the older days, they would lift him up on their shoulders, right, and carry him around, and he'd go, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, and we'd all go, oh, you're a man, you're a man. Okay, that's what this lifted up means, or it means lifted up like to a place of prominence, a place of exaltation. So a king, he'd come into town, he'd be riding a beautiful horse or something, he was an older king and not up for riding horses, 
What'd you do? You put him on a throne chair and servants carry him in because so he's what? He's lifted up, exalted to a high place. That's what this phrase means. So Jesus says, when you have lifted up, exalted, put up to a high place of adulation, the Son of Man, we're going, wait a minute, what's he talking about? When was Jesus physically lifted up that we would then know that's the Son of God and he's, he's performing our salvation? On the cross. Right? Other places Jesus said, now it's time for me to be glorified. And you go, well, well that means people bowing down. That means expensive robes and tapestries. It means the, the best orchestra in the land is playing down a pit. That's what that means. Jesus says, no, I'm going to be glorified on the cross. You're going, that's so wrong, God. That's so backwards, God. There's no God like this on the planet. Every other man-created God is the opposite. It's what you expect, and it's all false and hollow and, and empty. This is the true God. Jesus himself, just talking about himself, says, when you have lifted me up to a place that God knows is exaltation and glory, but it's going to be on the cross, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know, say that with me, then, then you, you will, will know, know that I am. Okay? I'm not, I'm not dumping on pastors and churches, but some pastors and churches focus like 98% of the time on the glory and the power and all, you know, Jesus doing this in your life today. He's going to give you money and he's going to heal you and all this other stuff. And I'm going, how do we know Christ is the Son of Man and the Savior of the world? How do we know that he's God and he's our Savior? When does that happen? What moment, what thing does God do where we know Christ is Savior? When he's lifted up on the cross. Am I against power? Am I against healing? Am I against riches? I am not. But I want to know Christ. And I, know, I want to know him as well as I can before I meet him face to face. And the place you know Christ and the place you can get saved is at the cross. He was lifted up by men who hated his guts and had rejected him and rejected the Father. And Jesus willingly allowed himself to be lifted up in that fashion so that he could take their sins, even their sins, into his body and put those sins to death so that even they, even these men, would have a chance to be forgiven and saved. Now it's fascinating. He says, when you scribes and Pharisees have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that Yahweh. Now I submit to you. Does everybody who encounters Yahweh say yes to him? Nope. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Half the crowd stand there went, did you see that? He just raised Lazarus. He's been there four days. we got to kill this guy. Literally. But here's their opportunity. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that Yahweh, and that I do nothing on my own authority. How is the cross going to show that? <clears throat> Did Jesus want to go to the cross? Did he want to be separated from the Father? Did he want to know the full weight of the sin of mankind for all time? 
in desperation, he asked the father the night before three times, isn't there some other way we can do this? But he loved the father so much, he loved you and I so much. He said, if this is the only way, I will do your will. What mode is that? That's obeying the authority of the father. What's he say here? When you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that Yahweh, I am, that I do nothing in my own authority. It's going to be in obedience to the father. I speak just as the Father taught me. Now I want to go back for just a second. This lifted up thing is powerful. It's not the only place in John. Go back to John chapter 3, verse 14. This is the tail end of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, right? You must be born again. Tail end of the conversation, Jesus says, verse 14, to Nicodemus, he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, same word, to an exalted place, to a high place. Remember, that's that whole thing where poisonous snakes were biting the Israelites because they were stiff-necked sinners like you and me. And they said, oh, take away the snakes. And God said, yeah, I'm going to leave the snakes. But um, Moses put a, put a snake, a bronze snake, up on a pole. And when you get bitten, if you will look up to the snake on the pole, I will heal you. So if you will listen to my word and believe my word and then obey what my word says, I will heal you. And Jesus refers to this more than once. But he says, this is a picture of me on the cross. So here back in John 3, 14, he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be, say it with me, lifted up. up. So that whoever believes in him lifted up on the cross what he's accomplishing there whoever believes in him may have what say it with me eternal, eternal life. life it's the only way you can have eternal life so we're hanging out with people and meeting people bumping you know god gives us opportunities we can't just say jesus loves stepping out of you he's got wings he's cool just love jesus and you'll be fine Somewhere along the line, we have to bring them to the cross. They have to see Jesus lifted up, understand what he's accomplishing there, and believe. That's eternal life. So back to John 8. Let's pick it up at verse 28 again. Is that where we have on the screen? Okay. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. That I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Is Jesus already feeling it here? He's already feeling it. He's already looking forward to the cross. Knows what's coming down. You know what? Father's with me. He's not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. This is Jesus. Perfect in submission, perfect in obedience, perfect in love and unity with His Father. Verse 30, would you say out loud with me together? As, As he, was he was saying, saying these things, things many, many believed, believed in Him. him. Ah, get okay, go 
goosebumps, right? How much, how much do we see resistance and rejection and, and going the other way and trying to get Jesus in trouble? We see so much of that in the Gospels, right? This makes our hearts just... And this, this is true believing. We'll find out as we go forward. This is true believing. Many believed in him. Many heard what he was saying. What was happening for them? The Father was drawing them. The Holy Spirit was helping them to hear and listen and understand. That the whole, so veils are being, deception and lies from the scribes and the Pharisees are being lifted from their minds. They're encountering Jesus. They're hearing the truth and they're going, this is truth. I've seen him do millions of things. I've heard him preach and, and say so many wonderful, powerful things. And this is the truth. He really is. He has to be. And they hadn't even seen or experienced the cross yet. Amen? But there's already a, 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 a seminal, a, a beginning of faith that believes that the salvation is happening, is being birthed in them. And who's that a gift from? That's a gift from the Lord himself and the Holy Spirit. And so what happens when he dies on the cross? And then rises from the grave. And then the Holy Spirit comes. All these, all the veils get lifted. All the synapses God brings together. Jesus walks with the two on the way to Emmaus. And he says, let, let me share from you from the Old Testament so you can understand. And it says he, he opened their minds to understand. All this stuff is God's stuff. Right? So we want desperately to be able to save people by what we say and do. Amen? Nothing wrong with that. Just keep in mind, you can't do it. You didn't do it. You got saved. You didn't do that. The person who witnessed and testified it to you, they didn't do that. God did that through them and through his word and by his Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. So here's our prayer for people that we, we love and know and care about and they aren't yet saved. We pray. We wait for opportunities for the Spirit to give us opportunity to speak. This is what they need. They need to meet Jesus at the cross. He says, when you lift me up, then you will know that I am Yahweh, the Savior. You'll come to understand that I'm, I'm taking care of your sin right there. When I rise from the grave, you'll know that I'm victorious over that sin and the death the devil put on me. Then you'll know. People must come to the cross. They have to meet Jesus there. They have to encounter Yahweh, Son of God. And that's where faith can happen. If it hasn't happened for you yet, are you like some in the crowd? They're like, it's happening for me right now. For the first time ever, I'm getting this. And today's your day. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't know if you have tomorrow. Let's do it today. You've already got Jesus. Love him more. And pray. Pray with a little more oomph, right? And look for more opportunities to share. Love Jesus at the cross more. Let's pray. <laughs> God, first we're praying for anybody here this morning that uh, the blinders are coming off for the first time. Holy Spirit, you're drawing somebody to Jesus. The Father is prompting you to do that. For the first time, they're going, I, 
gotta have Jesus. My sin has to have a savior. It, somebody has to pay the price of death that I should pay, and Jesus did that for me. And then he rose from the grave. He's alive. He really did. He's victorious. He's the one. Jesus, you're the one. If that's you this morning, then you simply pray this. Jesus, I desperately need a Savior. I need you because you paid the price for my sin. No one else could. I confess my sin. I hate it. I repent when I turn away from it. I want you, Jesus. I want to be saved. And I want to walk with you every day the rest of my life until you take me home. Jesus, save me now and make me yours. Hallelujah. If that's you here this morning, then you must tell someone today. Tell me. Tell someone you came with. Tell someone today that you received Jesus and made him Lord in your life today. Let that testimony come forth, and that helps that the process uh, be strengthened and sealed and go forward and, and grow, grow. Thank you, Jesus. God, for us who know you, who love you, we want more and more around us to be saved. So Holy Spirit, draw them to Jesus. Father, Father, draw them to Jesus. God, teach us how to pray, Holy Spirit, more and more. Praying that you draw people. We're praying that you lift the veil from their mind. That you give them a hunger for truth. That you lead them, compel them to Jesus. And if we're to be a part of that, God, we're, we're offering ourselves, saying, yes, God, use us. God, have your way. We, we are a lighthouse here. That's your word for us, and we, we treasure it, and we rejoice in it. We want to be a lighthouse wherever we go every day. God, penetrate the darkness. Give people a hunger for the light, a desire for when they see the light to come to it and to say, help me. This is the light I want. What do you What do you have that I don't and I want it? God, we want to see more lost people get saved before the trumpet blows. We want them to come here and, and uh, grow up in Jesus with us. So God, make it so. Glorify your name, Father. Through Jesus Christ, our precious, wonderful Lord. And all God's people said. Amen. Amen.